everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And joining me this week is my good friend, John Paulson. He's the director of forecasting at 4for4.com, co-host of the Most Accurate Podcast, two-time winner of the Fantasy Pros Rankings Accuracy Contest, and a national champion, former forward on the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point basketball team. Find him on Twitter at 4for4 underscore John. Welcome back, John. How's summer been treating you? Uh, not bad. I didn't know that I went to Stevens Point, though. I went to Platteville. Uh, oh, Platt. Oh, my God. Did I botch that? Oh, now I feel like a complete idiot. Dude, I don't know it's why right. I had I don't know why I had Stevens Point on the brain. My wife's aunt and uncle are from Stevens Point. We're talking about going up okay. there for a trip this summer. It's OK. Oh, my Pat. God. I, my su- hey, my summer's doing well. It's going well. I just got back from a trip from Boston. Uh New York City, Philly, and Washington, D.C. My son just finished U.S. history as an eighth grader, so good time to go and uh, see some of the nation's history and uh, just kind of ramping up into the big-time fantasy season here. It kind of starts for me after July 4th. It really starts to ramp up, so uh, that's coming up soon. Yeah, I know. Days of our so-called off-season left. How was the uh, East Coast being a transplanted West Coast guy now? Were you uh, out of your comfort zone? Uh, it's, it's a little, uh, it's a little different. It was, it was good to show my son, uh, you know, big cities. He'd been to LA before and San Francisco and stuff, but, uh, you know, New York city is another animal. Uh, the, especially the adventures on the subway, uh, <laughs> pretty interesting. Um, I would say that, uh, the East coast is a, is it's, it's neat because the architecture is older. The cities are older. Uh, there's a lot of history there compared to California and, uh, uh, it, it was a good trip to kind of open his eyes to another part of the country. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's a good way to spend your summer. And uh, yeah, so now that you are about to refocus your attention on football, let's start with a matter of tactical philosophy. Um, there are several important fantasy contributors who have either received a lengthy suspension or are currently facing one. DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson, Alvin Kamara, some fantasy managers simply won't draft these guys, but some are willing to take the discount they're getting on a star caliber player. Like, how do you view these types of situations and the value proposition you get with these players? Like, how likely are you to have any of these guys on your teams this year? Yeah, so I do full projections at four for four, as you know, and so I'm I'm looking at that suspension, whatever it is for whoever it is, and basically knocking those games off of the player's projection. So that's going to knock their ranking down significantly in my uh, projections. And then I think it's up to the user, uh, the 444 subscriber, to decide whether or not, you know, having a Hopkins for X number of games is worth where he's being drafted. Uh, For example, I have him ranked projection-wise at wide receiver 47. Uh, But his value is more than that because... You know, when he's out there, he's going to be producing at a higher level than the guys going around him at uh, even wide receiver 37, which is his current ADP at underdog. Uh, So it's sort of up to the user to decide, yes, I want to hold this guy. I know it's Hopkins. uh, I didn't look up his uh, suspension, but I think it was like six games. Is that that six? Yes. Yes. So, um, is, do you want to hold him on your roster for six games? How big is your bench? 
uh, because he's just going to be eating up a spot that you can't use on waivers or uh, anything else. And, or maybe you can plug him into an IR spot, depending on your league settings. Uh, and, and then holding him doesn't really cost you as much as, as, as it might for somebody who's in a, uh, in a league with a roster of 16 or something like that. Um, so, you know, we sort of I project the best I can, and then it's up to the user there for some of these guys. And we do talk about them on podcasts and sort of how to approach them. Uh, Deshaun Watson has gone from, you know, being QB 13 with, you know, top five upside to at this point, it appears that the NFL is pushing hard for a full season suspension. Uh, so I've got him missing at least half the season. I've got him at QB 30. His, his uh, ADP is QB uh, 26. So I'm basically out on him and unless it's maybe a two quarterback league and you know, even then I don't think I, I want it. I think the, the one guy you mentioned is Alvin Kamara that I might draft. Uh, my projection for him is RB 14. Uh, his ADP is RB 12. He is slipping some and you know, a good follow on Twitter is Drew, Dav- Drew Davenport FF. Uh, he's with the football guys, but he's a legal guy. And he's been doing these threads on these different situations and uh, different things that can happen, especially with Deshaun Watson and Alvin Kamara. He's also talked about Dalvin Cook, who has some off-field legal issues as well. Uh, but Kamara's next court date was pushed back to August 1st. So at this point, Davenport is thinking that you know he's, he's less concerned about Kamara getting suspended this season. It might happen next season. But there is this video that is out there which is reportedly very incriminating in terms of Kamara's involvement in his uh fight brawl that that happened and if that video leaks uh that could be the other shoe that drops that pushes the NFL towards maybe suspending him earlier rather than later but who knows what they're doing behind the scenes in terms of a uh investigation or what what could drop there but I mean Kamara Obviously, super talented. The The issue with him is that you're not using like a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick on him. You got to use a second round pick in order to get Alvin Kamara. And that that's a that's a lot of draft capital when there are some other good players available in that range. Yeah, that's the thing for these guys like Hopkins, where it's kind of set. I mean, with that is the one we know right away. We don't know yet what Watson is going to get, what Kamara is going to get, when they might have to serve those suspensions. You know, if they somehow sit back and, and wait on the Camara thing. And then like it's settled in season and all of a sudden they issue the suspension mid season. You're losing him for those end of the season games that could really hurt. But, um, you know, with Hopkins, you're going to get replacement value, as you said, even though you haven't projected as wide receiver 47, he's more valuable than that. Cause you're not getting a zero in that spot until he comes back. But I find it interesting that I think Chris Godwin has a higher ADP than, DeAndre Hopkins, whereas Hopkins is going to come back healthy and we know when he's coming back. We don't know when Godwin is coming back. We don't know what he's going to be uh, like as far as peak physical condition, probably not 100 percent. So I don't know. What is your approach to guys like that coming back from injuries and likely to miss games at the start of the season? Um, James Robinson, I guess, falls into that category, too, this year, although you're certainly getting a much bigger discount on Robinson than you are on Godwin. Um, I don't know. How do you generally approach guys like that going into a new season? Yeah, I think as time has gone on, I've gotten more and more reluctant to draft guys that are heading into training camp 
injured and not really knowing if they're going to be available week one. Uh, I think especially for these, you know, Godwin who, you know, tore, tore his ACL late in the year. Uh, I'm expecting him to miss probably six games uh, at a minimum. And if you look at Tampa as a whole, like kind of back out, they, you know, they're not too worried about having, you know, rushing Godwin back in order to get him on the field as soon as possible. I'm sure that they are looking at him, uh, trying to get him healthy for the second half of the season and the playoffs. I mean, they definitely have their eyes on another Super Bowl, so they're not going to risk him at all. And they've got Russell Gage there and some other receivers that uh, are decent and can kind of pick up the slack. Uh, so I project, you know, Godwin from a projection standpoint at wide receiver 60, and he's going wide receiver 28. So it's just, I'm not going to be drafting him at all. And he's a player that I love, you know, in a normal circumstance, I would have him rank quite high in top 15, uh, especially with Antonio Brown moving on. Uh, but it's just, you know, given his injury, it's the same kind of a situation. Like how big is your bench? You know, can you stash him on injury reserve? If that's the case, then it, you know, it makes some sense to, you know, pull the trigger if he slips below that ADP, but you know, wide receiver 28 is a pretty steep price to pay for a guy who's likely to miss, you know, six plus games. Uh, James Robinson is another situation because he's got that Achilles tear and, you know, there haven't, hasn't been a lot of uh, running backs that have come back from that strong. Uh, Travis Etienne is there. Uh, I think he's fully capable of a three down role there for Jacksonville. And uh, our injury expert, Adam Hutchinson is kind of worried about Robinson, his plate, you know, his playing style and that he's not the most, most athletic guy as it is. And, you know, tearing your Achilles, can you come back? Will he get any of that burst back that was sort of keeping him, uh, you know, get, getting him by athletically at the position? Because he's a pretty crafty runner. He's a three down back. But, um, you know, if this knocks any sort of burst out of him, then he might just kind of fall by the wayside, which is unfortunate because he was a fun, you know, may still be a, a you know a fun story as he comes back again. But, you know, being undrafted and coming out and doing as well as he did for the Jaguars was a really fun story there the last couple of years. Yeah, these guys who got the the late season injuries are just so tough to to project going into the new season. Michael Gallup falls into that category too. Uh, Odell Beckham, who I think the calendar had already flipped to February by the time Beckham got hurt. So uh, Lord knows when he's going to be back. Um, and so I know Derek Henry does not really fall into that category. He should be fine for the new season. But how do you feel about him for 2022 after the foot injury? Yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that I mean he came back and played in that playoff game, even though he wasn't super productive, and the fact that the foot was ready enough for him to come and play in an NFL playoff game, I am not really worried about his foot injury or, uh, you know, just wear and tear in general for a guy with his number of carries. I mean, he's he's built a little different. I kind of look at him as more of an Adrian Peterson type, where he might kind of break the mold in in terms of like how long he's going to be able to last. Um, that said, you know, he's, he is human and, you know, you do wonder about things like that, but I think, you know, middle of the first round, which is where he's going, given his workload, I mean, he's, he's a 25 to 30 touch player pretty regularly. And, uh, he was on track to catch 36 passes, I believe, or 38 passes, uh, which would have smashed his career high and giving him that much more value in PPR and half PPR formats. Um, I think he's a little bit of a unicorn. So I have him at RB3 behind, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, that's fair. And no indication that he won't get that massive workload again. Um, I'm a little worried about it after the 
volume he's handled the last couple of years. Like whether that's just the foot injury is the start of additional physical maladies. I don't know. Like it concerns me. It's just, he's a guy I'm kind of drafting around in the first round, even though I can't, um, I can't necessarily justify it the way I'm regarding some other players who I like, who are coming off injury issues or whatever, but just that, like that volume scares me, the history. So, um, I don't know. I'm probably not going to have Derrick Henry in many spots, but, uh, you know, of course it wouldn't surprise me if he had another monster season. Um, John, let's talk about our team, the Green Bay Packers. You and I are both sons of the great beer soaked state of Wisconsin. Uh, it seems like we agree that there is immense fantasy potential at the running back position with the Packers. You have Aaron Jones projected at RB7, and yet you're actually really conservative with how many carries you give him. You've got Jones with 145 carries this season. I mean, less than 10 a game, well under 10 a game. A.J. Dillon with 189, and I think that accurately reflects the, the trends and how the carries were going when they played together late last year. Uh, I take it you're expecting Jones to play a pretty big role in the passing game then. Yeah, I, I expect him to easily set a career high in catches. In seven games that Devontae Adams missed since the 2018 season, Jones has averaged 5.1 catches per game. So you know, 70-plus catches are well within his range of outcomes, provided he can stay uh, healthy. And I think they have been reluctant to give him too much work. So if they are going to increase his role as a receiver – uh, I would expect that his catches or his carries would be uh, would decline a little bit in favor of Dylan, since they do have a Dylan out there who can pick up the slack as a runner. So I think we'll probably see more uh, snaps with Dylan and Jones on the field together, with you know Jones split out wider in the slot, or uh, maybe coming out of the the backfield to catch passes and uh, to try to keep defenses on their toes because they have to create some sort of uncertainty and. Uh, a way to attack a defense without Devontae Adams out there. Yeah, and I I heartily endorse all your projections for Dylan. Uh, but I think the one area where he could potentially smash the projection is with touchdown runs. You have him for 3.7. Uh, would you agree that he could far exceed that number if the Packers continue to use him as their designated goal line guy? Yeah, if they do, uh, I mean, I don't know if that he was or wasn't last year. He did outcarry Jones 11-8 to eight inside the five-yard line last season, so it was fairly even. I actually pulled that stat thinking that Jones was actually carrying the ball more. I think they do, I mean, obviously Dylan did carry the ball more inside the five. I, I think they do like Jones near the goal line because he does have that quickness to make one guy miss who might hit the backfield before <laughs> expected uh, on a running play and he's able to, to get into the end zone. But Dylan's size and strength uh, probably will have him uh, as the primary goal linebacker, you know, at least splitting the duties with Jones. Um, I don't have them for a ton of touchdown runs. Uh, they do throw the ball quite a bit around the goal line. I think Rogers checks to, to passes quite a bit. So uh, I've got him for 11 or so touchdowns. Maybe that should, maybe that's a little bit low. Um, certainly with Dylan, I've got him at uh, RB 23. I think his ADP is like RB 25, and that's only with 3.7 touchdowns. So if you think he's going to get four, four, five, seven, eight, possibly ten, then he's being way underdrafted. Yeah, and see, that's the 
one of the reasons why I think there's possible upside there, because I actually used to joke that their goal line back was Devonte Adams. And that was pretty much, it was pretty much the way Rogers treated it. I mean, he would look for Adams at the goal line all the time and they didn't run that often. And, um, you know, I do not have the exact numbers in front of me, but I would guess just based on my memory of it and, uh, you know, text with you and other Packer fans, uh, I know a lot of my friends were curious about why Dylan wasn't the goal line back in the first half of last season, but I think they kind of shifted him into that over the second half of the season. So I think it was kind of a roughly mid-season split with who was getting most of the the snaps and touches around the goal line inside the five-yard line. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the other thing, John, I mean, the possible hidden upside with these guys is if one gets hurt, the other is absolutely going to smash. Although I, I do remember that Aaron Jones got hurt last year. And I think I ranked like AJ Dillon running back three for that week's game against the Vikings. And it was surprisingly unsatisfying uh, his numbers from that game against the Vikings. But I think that was because Rogers just wound up throwing a ton that week. Yeah. Was that the, was that week 17 or week 11? I think it was week 11. Yeah, he had uh, he... 17 touches for 97 yards and no touchdowns. Uh, and then week 17 against the Vikings, he had two touchdowns, 63 yards rushing, and 20 yards receiving. But his, you know, generally his, you know, carries, it just sort of depends how the game's going for the Packers. But, uh, you know, we could probably count on him for double-digit carries this year, whereas last year it was a little bit hit or miss uh, in terms of his workload. But he's obviously showed a pretty good ability to catch the ball as well. I mean, a couple games with five plus catches a couple more with four plus catches so um he he showed some receiving chops so i think they don't want to be too predictable and i think if they have both of them out there and they can do different things with both of them that's going to be i mean i think you gotta have a lot of uh, confidence in in lafleur and his ability to sort of scheme and offense uh, having lost somebody like Devontae adams yeah and you mentioned how things are going for the packers is a big um indicator of how things are going for the running backs. And I think you and I agree. I mean, as, as two fellow Packer fans who have commiserated on the state of the defense over the years, that you and I are probably both feeling as good as we have in a long time about the, the overall state of that unit, which means potentially some pretty run-friendly game scripts. Yeah, I mean, I think this defense is up there. Uh, top three or four maybe in the league talent-wise. Uh, we're really excited about uh, the step forward that the team took last year uh, under Barry uh, and they brought Rasul uh, Douglas back and uh, they've got a lot of talent like kind of all over the, the field. So a lot of confidence in this defense. And I think that might lead to maybe, you know, games being a little different. Uh, but, you know, as, as long as this Green Bay offense doesn't take a huge step back, then, you know, I think there's good. There's, I think there's some underrated uh, players in this offense, uh, specifically uh, Rodgers, who is going later than I would have thought for a back-to-back MVP. But I mean, he he lost his uh, best receiver, but has done well without Devonte. I know you want to ask about him a little bit later, but I'll just give you my stat right now. I mean, he's going QB thirteen on average, and uh, I've got him ranked QB ten. Um, managers can wait on that position and load up, you know, with eight other picks maybe get a stud tight end, a couple of good running backs, a bunch of receivers, and then you can add Aaron Rodgers there in the ninth or 10th round. And that QB 13 uh, ADP, like that's at the range where 
you know, if you're the last one to take a quarterback, you could might be able to wait a couple more rounds because very few uh, managers are looking to take their backup quarterback anytime soon, unless it's maybe best ball. Uh, but you can wait another round or two and add Rogers uh, as everybody else is trying to scramble for running backs and receivers or tight ends and uh, really add him to a incredible lineup. Uh, his touchdowns were better with, without Devante in the lineup, 2.38 versus 2.19. Yard per attempt went from 7.4 to 8.3. Overall fantasy production was 20.7 with Devante versus 21.2 without him. And I'm not saying that he's going to be better without Devante Adams, but he's smart enough and good enough to adjust. And I don't think we're going to see the fall off that we're seeing in terms of his ADP. Yeah. Did you mention where you have him ranked right now? Yeah. QB, QB 10. QB 10. So yeah, it is crazy. And you mentioned he's going about QB 13 and that seems to be where he goes in all the best balls I'm doing these days. It's crazy. You can play the late round QB game uh, with Rogers wait on QB game. Yeah. For with a walk-in hall of famer. And I mean, I get it. And, and part of the reason why I think I've got him QB, it's either QB 11 or QB 12, is like what I mentioned earlier. I just think they're going to get a lot of like favorable run-friendly game scripts, and they're probably going to be a lot of games where Rodgers is throwing for 189 yards and, and two or three touchdowns and doesn't need to do much but just sort of executes the offense very well. Um, you know, low interception totals as always. Um, but of course the other thing and the, the main thing that is probably scaring off drafters is the wide receiver situation. Now, how are you approaching the green Bay receivers and drafts, John? Like I've stayed away pretty much entirely in the early best balls I've been doing other than the occasional end of draft Sammy Watkins share. Um, do you think there's anyone in this wide receiver core worth targeting? I feel like you might be higher on Alan Lazard than I am. I think he's the one player that we know what his role is going to be. Uh, I think you look at the depth chart right now, and I've got it just, I'm guessing, but I've got Lazard one, Watson two, Watkins three, Cobb four, Mario Rogers five, and Romeo Dubes uh, six, and, you know, Jawan Winfrey's there and some other guys. Um, But I'm really sort of in a wait and see with the rest of these guys, like, I don't want to draft Christian Watson until I hear some good stuff out of camp. Uh, I think Watkins is kind of the sleeper here because we sort of know that he can produce when he's healthy and, you know, given his pedigree and, you know, the times that he has produced, you know, pairing him with uh, an Aaron Rodgers who needs uh, somebody to throw to uh, is a pretty good setup. You know, he, He's uh, got some talent, and if he can stay healthy, he might really surprise. And certainly his his ADP pick 168, uh, you don't have to get a lot out of him in order to get your return uh, at that point in the draft. So um, I really, with, with Green Bay, I've got them all sort of in that 400 to 700-yard range. I think that's what we might see. Um, but, you know, there's a chance that in camp, uh, you know, maybe Rodgers takes a shine to Watson. He's He's further ahead as a route runner than we thought, or maybe the other rookies step up or, uh, Mari Rogers is looking great and gets a chance to really explode as a, as a, in a second season as a slot receiver. Uh, but I'm, I'm waiting for news out of green Bay to find out like who's looking good and, and what this pecking order might be, because you really could make a case that the only player, you know, is going to play a lot is Lazard and everybody else is sort of up in the air. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that tentative pecking order. And I agree that Lazard is probably the preseason favorite for leader in uh, among the wide receivers in snaps, targets, catches. Um, but I do think, and you sort of were hinting at this, that like maybe the ceiling is kind of limited there. Like, I don't think I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if Lazard went for a thousand yards for a guy who, uh, you know, maybe his his greatest attribute to this point has been uh, that he's one of the best blocking receivers in the NFL. Um, if, if there's someone from this team who you think is going to shock us with just an out of nowhere impactful fantasy season that no one saw coming, who do you think it'll be? It's just tough to say. I mean, it might be like maybe Rogers, uh, Aaron Rodgers just loves dubs or something or, um, but, or maybe like Christian Watson is just like, I mean, he's such an athletic freak that if he's, if he's even a decent route runner and can be in the right place, doesn't make mistakes, who knows? Uh, there's just so many snaps and targets available for somebody in this group. I mean, I mentioned Watkins seems like at pick 168 seems like the sleeper. Uh, like if you can get a healthy season out of him or 14 or 15 games out of him, in this offense and he's playing 70, 80% of the snaps, then he's likely to have some really big games. Uh, I just wonder like what the rotation is going to look like. And you know, if Cobb is healthy, he's going to play some, if Rogers is, uh, Mario Rogers is good to go and makes a step forward. He could play a lot. Um, it's just so much competition amongst a bunch of guys that are sort of unproven within this system. Uh, you just don't know. And, I, and then I just waiting for, camp to start to get some some feel for some of these guys yeah i'm with you um i make me uh answer that question and i would probably say watkins i just like why do i get the feeling that he could have some sort of uh you know six catch 95 yard game with a touchdown in week one and all of a sudden people are spending nine or ten fab dollars on him in uh week one it just and it would be funny if he after teasing people for so long and and now basically being dismissed completely uh became some fantasy force this late in his career in green bay um all right john last question about the packers before we move on who was the worst draft pick for green bay tony mandarich or jordan love yeah i saw this on the show sheet and you know in theory it's a tough question but it really i mean i don't think it is at this point because we just don't know what jordan love's going to be um, Tony Mandarich went two overall, I believe. We passed on Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders, among others. Uh, obviously, he had some steroid use going on, and it just was just a bad pick overall. And he played a few seasons for them, uh, left the league, and then came back and played for the Colts for a while. Um, I would have to say Mandarich uh, at this point. <laughs> uh, if Jordan Love doesn't eventually come in and start for the Packers then, or we don't get some sort of return from him. If we trade him, uh, it, it was a bad pick, but uh, I can understand why they thought that uh, if they, if they really fell in love with love's tape and thought that he was uh, the next great Packer quarterback, then I, I sort of understand the pick, but within the scope of where Aaron Rodgers was in his career, uh, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. It just pissed him off. But it did lead, perhaps led to back-to-back MVP seasons, and now we've got you know Rogers locked up for the short term. So um, it just would be so much better if we were talking about T. Higgins' role in this offense, and you know, is he a top five <laughs> receiver uh, instead of having drafted uh, uh, Love? You know, Higgins was on the board at that point, and we passed on him. So it, that's tough. That's tough to look at. 
Oh man, you had to bring up T. Higgins. Yeah, that thinking about that is just painful. Um, yeah, like on the surface of things, it would seem like Mandrich would be the obvious pick. I mean, the first five picks in that draft, what was it, 1989, were Troy Aikman, Tony Mandrich, and then I believe the order was Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, and Deion Sanders. So basically, Mandrich sandwiched in between four Hall of Famers. And, but the thing was like, there was reason to believe Mandarich was this unique player. They had a need at the position. Um, maybe it should have been more obvious that, uh, you know, part of his dominance was, uh, chemically based, <laughs> but, but, um, at, at least like there was reason to believe he was going to give them a lot at an area of need. Whereas the Jordan Love thing was such an unforced error, man. And it exactly just alienates the quarterback. And not only did he, you know, make that pick, but like the way he failed to seed it with Aaron Rodgers and, and you know, brings this uh, threat of Rodgers potentially walking away. Um, it just so handled in it's such a ham-handed way. It's just frustrating to this day. All right, John, so what did you do uh, now that you – have abandoned your native Milwaukee Bucks for the Golden State Warriors. How did you celebrate their championship? Well, they abandoned me by trading uh, my favorite player at the time, Andrew Bogut, for Monta Ellis. And at that point, I was living in California and had to find a new team to root for because I just felt like the Bucks were always going to be in that bad spot where they were, you know, four through eight in the East if they made the playoffs, uh, never get a good uh, draft pick, uh, like marquee player. And nobody would want to come there as a free agent. And they nailed the uh, Giannis pick. Uh, so I was actually rooting for them against the Suns, especially uh, with all the Suns and four nonsense that I saw from the Phoenix fans. Uh, it, was, it was a good year for the Warriors to, to have a terrible season because I was able to root for my native Bucks. And, you know, I, I justified it by, by saying that I, you know, used to pretend I was Sidney Moncrief and my dad uh, was... Uh, uh, Bob Terry Lanier, Cummings? no, no, oh, Bob, Bob Lanier, Bob Lanier uh, in the driveway when I was a kid. So I, I, you know, I paid my dues <laughs> as a Bucks fan. <laughs> uh, but no, I switched over to the Warriors. Uh, you know, when they went forty-seven and thirty-five, and they, they had some fun players, and Bogut was playing for them, so it was easy for me to to justify that. Anyway, uh, the the championship was fun. We watched a lot of it during our East Coast trip. Uh, it started in Boston, and we were there actually for Game Three. Uh, which the Warriors lost, and you know the, the Seas fans were obnoxious, and uh, we were, we went to a Paul McCartney concert there the night of that game at, at Fenway, and we're walking out, and they're like you know chanting Celtics chants as we walk out, so it was pretty <laughs> it was pretty uh, annoying, but um, it was great to come back and uh, and win that series, and you know I love watching Steph and Clay and Andrew Wiggins was phenomenal, uh, Draymond talking trash to everyone, so it was a, it was a fun series to to see them come back and sort of extend the dynasty uh, and, and kind of prove that uh, it wasn't just a Kevin Durant thing the last couple of, of rings. Yeah, it definitely wasn't. Um, Steph is amazing. Kerr getting what now his ninth ring or something. Just unbelievable. How did you feel about the Warriors drafting Patrick Baldwin Jr., a kid who was born in Green Bay, grew up in Waukesha County like you did and played college ball in Milwaukee? Yeah, I'm just kind of learning about him. I didn't follow the draft closely at all, uh, but it sounds like, you know, after I saw the pick and like reading up on him that he was projected to go in the top 10 at one point uh, and just kind of had a disappointing season, injury riddled, uh, 
apparently Golden State, I would assume they checked out that ankle and uh, figured that he's going to get over that in- injury. And he's got kind of a really nice skill set. He's like 6'10", can shoot it. He's got a 7'2" wingspan and I, I at this point i certainly trust the golden state front office uh and system when a uh, draft and develops uh system uh that uh, i could go with them on you know out on these uh, limbs <coughs> excuse me limbs with some of these players that maybe uh were falling down the the draft uh, boards but uh excited for them and excited to see where the warriors can go for the next two or three years yeah man son of a coach too his dad uh D1 coach and uh, played, I believe he was the point guard for Northwestern University back in the day. So, John, when you come back to Wisconsin to visit family, is there something you make it a point to eat or drink that you can't get in California? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I love the double Butterburger with cheese from uh, Culver's. Uh, The root beer on tap there is really good. Um, I'll hit uh, Rocky Rococo's pizza. pizza as well. I guess that's Detroit style pizza. I was corrected. I thought it was Chicago style, but it's Detroit style pizza. I really like their pizza, really good fast food pizza there. Um, and then, uh, I like, uh, the, the you know, the totally naked, uh, beer, uh, I'm forgetting uh, the new Glarus brewing company has a bunch of good yes. beers. Yes. Uh, but, uh, the totally naked is a great one for summer. Uh, but they've got some other good beers there as well. I know the uh, Spotted Cow is a popular one, and uh, but that's what I'll. They don't really ship out of state, so it's hard to get it anywhere else. Uh, so those are the, those would be the things I would hit up if I hit Wisconsin. They don't, and I think you can actually get in trouble for serving that. Like I, some Minnesota bar, I, I believe, got into trouble for serving Spotted Cow. Um, yeah, it's like the the Coors, the modern day Coors beers, where you're, you're not allowed to transported over state line or at least not serve it um kind of funny uh and and now john my son is working his first job is at culver's he is a, a burger burger jockey there so um you know you could appreciate that and you know i'm trying not to get too fat eating uh you know extra culver's double butter burgers and uh concrete mixers here which are you know basically the equivalent of a dairy queen blizzard so yeah yeah I'm going to be oh. 270 pounds plus before you know it. Um, what have you been listening to lately? Lately, I know you're a big music guy. Yeah, uh, Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Uh, new album's really good. They've got uh, a bunch of albums out, but uh, they're going on tour. I just watched a live stream of theirs. Really good live band. Uh, the new Black Keys album uh, is good, and uh, we're going to see them in October. Excited about that. Uh and then I, you know, I listen to a lot of different stuff, and you know, some other bands that have kind of popped out, like a Coin, uh, Two Feet, um, kind of popping up in my playlist quite a bit. But that that kind of sums up where I'm at right now. Yeah, you have eclectic taste, man. I obviously you're a big Tom Petty guy. I'm sure you have some other classic rock inclinations, but you're also very into new bands, which is, uh, you know congratulations to you because i'm kind of stuck in the 90s so um oh i know what i was going to ask about the the food thing so are there any food items or restaurants you're grateful that you have in california because they weren't available to you in wisconsin uh yeah i mean growing up in wisconsin my exposure to mexican food was basically chichis uh so uh getting out here uh, there's great mexican food all over the place out here uh fish tacos are a thing out here which are great uh, they have amazing ceviche, and there's just lots of little hole in the wall places that are phenomenal. And 
in general, California is a very diverse place. So there's all sorts of different types of uh, food from all different kind of nationalities and everything. And like sushi out here is amazing. Really got into it. Uh, when I came to California, my son loves sushi. Like he, that's his number one food that he likes to eat when he has it. We have a treat. Uh, and then from a burger standpoint, I, I think the, the In-N-Out burger gets catches some flack. Uh, I know a lot of Californians love it. People kind of from outside of California try it and they're like disappointed uh, based on the weight, <laughs> weight in line or whatever they had to, to get their burger. But I, I like it quite a bit and it's, uh, it's cheap and it's uh, super tasty. So it, it's not quite as good as Culver's, but it, uh, it's a good placeholder there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh, did you know that one of the original investors, I think, in the Chi-Chi's uh, chain was Max McGee, the former no, Packers wide receiver? Yeah. And I think Max made like way more money on Chi-Chi's than he ever did as a player or uh, announcer. He was like the, the Packers color commentator for years afterwards. But um, yeah, Max was Max was in on the Chi-Chi's thing. And uh, man, I remember that place booming in the uh the eighties. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was basically in hindsight, that was not very good Mexican food. So I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate the quality of what you get in California. Um, all right, John, turning back to football, looking at your Twitter timeline, you recently tweeted this, John, uh, my name is John Paulson and I'd rather have Chase Edmonds than Clyde Edwards, Alaire or Josh Jacobs. Um, so I was curious and looked at your rankings and you've actually got all three in a row, but you do have Edmonds ahead of CEH and Jacobs. What do you like about Edmonds? And are you worried about there being more than one guy in that backfield who could potentially snipe him? Yeah. You, you know, Raheem Mostert's there. Sonny Michelle's there. You look at, I mean, this, this tweet sort of stemmed from Connor Allen, uh, who's one of our uh, betting uh, experts. Uh, he wrote an article about how Edmonds is a massive draft uh, draft value and I read through it, and it was, this is one of those backfields where I'm, I'm kind of going through all my draft notes right now and researching every player and writing about a paragraph about them, uh, and, and I'm refining my rankings as I go. And you know, <clears throat> this, this uh, Miami backfield uh, with an improved offensive line, uh, they did add some some players there. We they've got uh, Mike McDaniel now, the former OC for the 49ers, who's in as the head coach there. So. From a scheming standpoint, you know, Kyle Shanahan has had one of the best run games for years. Uh, I think Mike McDaniel will bring a lot of those principles over. Uh, and especially the, the zone blocking system, which is something that Edmonds is extremely good at. I think he averaged 5.8 yards per carry in zone blocking plays last year, according to Connor, uh, Connor's article. And then you also like, oh, well, what about Mostert? What about uh, you know, Mostert has done well in zone blocking as well, and he ran well at San Francisco, and Michelle's been pretty productive wherever he's been. Um, I think those two are going to be kind of competing for carries on first and second down along with Edmonds, but they don't want to be super predictable. I mean, Edmonds has three down ability, even if he's not uh, durable enough to handle probably 300 uh, touches, but I think he can make a lot of hay uh, with 175 carries and 75 catches, for example, and I think he will see almost all of those uh, running back uh, catches. So, you know, as a ninth, 10th round pick, I think Edmonds is uh, really appealing, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. I think in uh, standard leagues, not as much. And he's probably not going to be the goal line back, but he, I think he will score some rushing touchdowns. Um, but he's going to, I think he's going to make a lot of hay, as I said, uh, as a receiver. And uh, I just think that a lot of the signs are pointing to that. And then you look at what the, the money that they gave him. 
Um, they made him the third. Uh, he had the third most guaranteed money of any running back in this free agent class. They gave him six times as much money as they did either uh, Mostert or Michelle. So I think that indicates uh, intent there. If not the bell cow, he's going to be the lead back and, and probably be good for 15 to, to 17 touches a game. Yeah. And um, that's a good point. Like he is really cheap. I got him this morning, I think at a best ball at the nine ten turn. And, um, you know, like CEH and Jacobs are maybe considered the primary incumbents in their situations, but there's competition there too with the Chiefs uh, resigning Jarek McKinnon, bringing in Ronald Jones, uh, the, the Raiders still have Kenyon Drake and drafted Zamir White. So things are a little murky there as well. Um, you just did a podcast with TJ Hernandez and Justin Edwards about dead zone running backs. John, who are some of the dead zone running backs other than maybe Chase Edmonds and Edmonds might even be beyond the dead zone. Uh, but who are some of the, the dead zone running backs who intrigue you this year? Yeah, this whole dead zone thing, I think, came from zero RB folks, and I don't think that they're to be trusted. I, I'm very skeptical about all things zero RB. Um, so I kind of was doing a tongue-in-cheek with, with TJ and, and Justin talking about some of these players, and I think this is a uh, a year where the, the, these RB2 ranks are deeper than what we've seen in years past. I mean, there's a number of guys going uh, in the third to sixth round that are likely to see a lot of touches. And we can, if you can predict touches, then you can predict fantasy points. And like James Conner uh, in the third round uh, with Edmonds out of the way, I think he's a really strong pick there in the third. Uh, uh, Ezekiel Elliott likely to see 18 plus touches per game, uh, should be fully healthy, was still really good before his knee injury last year. Uh, he's going in the fourth round, which is just unheard of for, for Ezekiel. Uh, Travis Etienne, super intriguing as a potential three down back for Jacksonville. Uh, they have a pretty good offensive line, and just depending on what's going on with James Robinson there, he should uh, you know, see a lot of touches there. And He's a talented guy. I mean, he had, he's kind of pigeonholed as a pass catcher, but he had two 1,600-yard-plus seasons prior to his senior year uh, at Clemson and obviously is a good receiver, but I think he's just got, he's 250 pounds. I think he's three down back. Uh, Cam Akers is going to see a lot of touches for, for LA. I think that the question is, is, is uh, the health of that uh, Achilles uh, Brees Hall could be a, a surprise. I, I mean, obviously he was the first running back off the board, um, but that offensive line is improving, and if this offense can take a step forward and, and they decide to give him 65% of the touches as opposed to like a 50-50 split with Carter or a 60-40 split with Carter, uh, Hall could be, uh, you know, close in on RB1 numbers. And then you got guys that are kind of going a little bit later, like Montgomery. Uh, David Montgomery has back-to-back 20-plus touch-per-game seasons, and you can get him in the fifth round. Uh, Gibson, uh, back-to-back top 13 seasons, and you can get him in the sixth round. Uh, obviously, there's some things going on there with another running back coming in, but uh, Gibson is a, is a guy that young, having those two finishes. I just think it's fairly unheard of that you can have him in the sixth round or seventh round. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, I think, is a really good pick in the sixth round. Uh, he, he was seeing 18 carries a game in the, in the games that he was healthy and uh, obviously a really fast guy uh, and ran really well for the 49ers. And then, of course, we talked about A.J. Dillon. Um, a little bit has, you know, has a ceiling kind of capped if, if Jones is healthy, but if, you know, if you just look at his 
fundamentals, he's going to see 12 to 15 touches a game in a good offense and has potential for much more if, if anything were to happen to Jones. Yeah, I know historically the dead zone, this group of running backs in what, like the fourth to sixth round, like the hit rates have been historically low, but it does seem like this year, like it's setting up for actually a, a pretty productive. And of course, some of these guys will miss, some of these guys will get hurt, but uh, you know, man, give me like all the Brees Hall at that level. And um, uh, glad you brought up Elijah Mitchell. Uh, never too late to give you props for correctly advising people to spend a giant chunk of fat money <laughs> year and doing it yourself in the Hall of Fantasy League where we competed against each other last year. And uh, you and Jen Eakins, who you were co-managing the team with, you guys did go all in on Elijah Mitchell, and that certainly paid off for you guys. Um, so, John, you have Joe Burrow QB9. Uh, this feels a little bit disrespectful, quite honestly. Why are you a little bit down on him? Um, I think I've got him as like QB4 right now. Okay. Uh, I don't feel like it's disrespectful. I looked at his, I mean, he finished QB6 last year, uh, coming off the knee injury. Maybe if he runs a little bit more, I, I'd be a little bit more bullish on him. But, you know, his per game average last year was QB9. So I, I have him right on that. And, basically moved Rodgers from a point-per-game standpoint, moved Rodgers to 10 below him, and then Russell Wilson uh, to 8. Um, so, you know, I think he's right there in a tier with Brady and Wilson, Rodgers and uh, Burrow. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, you've got some guys that can run the ball a lot better uh, further up. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, likely to see four or five, 600 yards rushing at least. So um, I don't think Burrow can compete in that arena, uh, but he could, he could be a guy that goes for 35, 40 touchdowns given that uh, receiving core that he has there. And they, they, they spend some money on the offensive line too. So hopefully that, that keeps him better protected. Yeah. He's not a Konami code guy, but I do feel that offensive line is going to be better. And I do think his passing volume was a little low last year relative to say like Justin Herbert. And um, you know, he was uh, 8.9 yards per attempt, which I think is just like, yeah, and like that's so rare. And that's a number that I don't think Tom Brady has ever hit. And I think Aaron Rodgers maybe only hit it like once previously in his career. So I kind of think it's a symptom of greatness, John. And uh, I don't know, maybe we're going to see more of it. I know there were some other reasons, like he was super uh, successful on big plays. Like he hit his rate of big plays was enormous, but Hey man, you got Jamar Chase and T Higgins as your receivers. I think you're going to be above the league average on rate of big plays. And, and, you know, it's not going to be a fluky thing. That's going to regress uh, here and or there. What is your strategy at the tight end position this year? Yeah, this is a, you know, like the RB two rankings. I think that the, the tight end two rankings are pretty deep with some guys that are up and coming and uh, could surprise. So I think in best ball, I, if I miss out on a, a Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, I don't know if I would target them as much as I might in previous seasons. I think Kelsey is going to see a ton of targets and everything, but he's, I think he's falling off a little bit with his efficiency metrics. Um, but he's a safe pick if you are, in, especially if you're in like a PPR or a tight end premium league. Uh, I think Mark Andrews is going to have a great year uh, for the Ravens, although the Ravens, you, you wonder how run heavy they're going to go. Uh, after throwing the ball more than they wanted to last year. But I think Andrews should see his fair share and give you an advantage of the position. Kyle Pitts is good, uh, but has quarterback questions. Darren Waller is great, but uh, Devontae Adams is there eating up targets. Kittle's 
great, but uh, Trey Lance is changing the situation at quarterback. I think Dalton Schultz is a value, uh, given the fact that Mari Cooper moved on and, you know, he's got a good quarterback and they just are kind of searching for pass catchers there uh, with uh, you know, uh, Gallup uh, injured, uh, James Washington in, Jalen Tolbert in. Uh, but I think Schultz is probably a safe pick there in the middle rounds. And then I think you just have a bunch of guys uh, that really could finish in any order. Those That's kind of where my line is drawn. I do like Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard and Theory and TJ Hawkinson, uh, Dawson Knox. I think they're all safer picks and that's why i've got them in that order through the 10 spot and then after that it's you know i've got Noah fan at 11 he's going i think tight end 17 or 18 i got albert o at 12 i think he's going pretty late uh hunter henry uh Freermuth, cole Komet. uh just a lot of super interesting upside guys that could break out and finish in the top eight top five potentially and it's just a good year i think i'm just looking at you know we joke about tight end being deep, but I, you know, I've got 27 players with at least a hundred half PPR fantasy points. Uh, you know, and then the, the number, you know, the number 13 guy, Hunter Henry is at 119. So it's, you know, kind of bunched together in a giant tier. And if you are waiting, uh, you can probably get two or three of these guys really cheap in best ball and just sort of enjoy the good weeks when they come. Yeah, I've got to move Fant up. I've I've got him too low. I've got him kind of around where his ADP is at. And, uh, you know, it's not like Fant has been enjoying great quarterback play before. And, uh, you know, it's it's also not like Drew Locke and Geno Smith are so bad that they are incapable of throwing a spiral. So I should probably bump him up in my rankings a little bit. Um, based on early ADPs uh, and early drafts you've done, who have been some of your favorite draft targets? And I know you just gave me a lot of the running backs, uh, but you know, maybe some guys you didn't mention there yet or, uh, guys at other positions. Yeah. Usually at quarterback, I like to, I mean, there was a Josh Allen year, uh, where I was targeting him and he, uh, had his best year broke out. Uh, but I typically am looking for guys in that, uh, eight to 14 range who I think could finish top five. And I think Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson, Trey Lance, uh, all fit that bill. I'd like to be able to get guys ninth, 10th round, uh, and add them to a really loaded roster. Uh, if they have that sort of upside. And I think those three guys do, uh, Jameis Winston, I think in a two quarterback league is really interesting. I've got him at 17. Um, you know, if Michael Thomas is healthy, but I mean, even, even if he's not, they've added Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave and, um, I think he's in, he's in a good spot. Uh, running back, uh, I'm five spots high on uh, Travis Etienne versus general consensus. I've 12 spots high on Cordell Patterson. Uh, he was a top 10 back last year, and he's going like way late, which is surprising to me. I know he's old, but um, how much is his role really going to change, uh, especially with the receiving situation there? I mean, he's going to catch a lot of passes regardless. Even if his carries drop a little bit, he's still going to catch a lot of passes. And, of course, we talked about Chase Edmonds um, at receiver. I'm 10 spots high on Brandon Cooks versus general consensus. Uh, I think he's a fantastic value where he's going in the fifth or sixth round. Um, six spots high on Deontay Johnson. I think he's just a superior route runner. And I think uh, Mitch Trubisky looks like he's going to start there. I think he can support uh, Johnson at least there as a high-end wide receiver too. And then uh, Adam Thielen, I think he's being underdrafted, uh, 15 spots high on him. He was super productive until he got injured last year. And it sounds like the the Vikings are going to throw more. Uh, so 
he should benefit from that as well. And then we talked about, you know, Fant and Albert O at, at tight end, but I think another sleeper, uh, Austin Hooper, uh, for the Titans, you know, had the, had the good, uh, run there with the Falcons and then sort of kind of lost his, um, lost his, uh, mojo a little bit in Cleveland, but I think he, um, will step into that offense and, uh, you know, pick up some of the slack left by AJ Brown, become one of the favorite targets of, uh, of Ryan Tannehill. I'm with you. Great dumpster diving target at tight end. Uh, what about some of your fades, guys you just are probably not going to have any of, uh, or at least not much of in drafts? Well, I think all the Browns players right now are being overdrafted based on what's going on with Sean Watson. If he sits out the entire year and Baker Mayfield moves on, then you've got Jacoby Brissett uh, running the offense, and uh, it's just not going to be anywhere near where it would be with, with, with Watson at quarterback. Um, so I'm sort of avoiding those players now. I mean, I was really excited about David Njoku if, if he had a quarterback. Um, but I, I, just, I just don't see this uh, being much of a passing attack with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I like Javante Williams a lot, but not this, not in this situation with Melvin Gordon back. I think he's being overdrafted. His, his ADP is ticking down. Um, I don't see that the split's going to be much different than it was last year. Uh, maybe they start to tilt his way, but I don't see him being like a bell cow or a clear lead back over Mel- Melvin Gordon until Melvin Gordon's out of there. Um, J.K. Dobbins scares me in a timeshare uh, with no catches. Uh, Josh Jacobs scares me timeshare. He's not even one that likes to be the bell cow. Like he wants to stay fresh and rotate other guys in, so he's not pushing for that at all. And as you mentioned, they they drafted uh, Zamir, and uh, they've got Drake there as well, and we've got a new uh offensive coordinator head coach uh, josh mcdaniels who used a, a committee in new england so that worries me miles sanders i think uh could be great they've got that uh offensive line there that in philly which is really strong but they've never shown that they want to give him uh more than a committee type touch and he had zero touching rushing touchdowns last year which is super un- discouraging i think he's talented but just i'm fading him uh and then at receiver uh dk metcalf scares me uh at his adp uh, I, I'm having a tough time with the Denver receivers, uh, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. I think they're being overdrafted a little bit with pin, Tim Patrick having actually outperformed them in you know last two seasons. And then Michael Gallup is being overdrafted with that ACL. I, I don't know when he's going to be back, but uh, yeah, it's not going to be early. And they made a commitment to him, so I don't think they're going to want to rush him back uh, onto the field. Yeah, it's funny. I think every guest I've had on for the last two months, we've talked about the Denver receiver situation and maybe the right answer is to just stay away rather than picking one of those guys because it seems like they are both a little overpriced right now. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that's the great John Paulson, director of forecasting at 444.com and ranker extraordinaire. Find him on Twitter at 444 underscore John. Always great to catch up with you, John. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Fitz. Hopefully we can talk later in the summer. And that's going to do it for this week. My thanks once again to our guest, John Paulson of 444.com. Find him on Twitter at 444 underscore John. Fits on Fantasy is produced by Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by legendary Milwaukee ska band International Jet Sets. And my thanks to all of you for listening to and supporting the show. Please come back again next week when I'll be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone. 
I got it.